The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to the Rule of Three podcast, where myself, Robert Schmitz, Danny Meehan, and Brandon Robinson are coming at you on this love day, or lovely, we're recording on a Thursday, this will probably get released on a Friday, to talk about the Chicago Bears, who I've got to say, after an overtime loss to the Saints, it really feels like the bottom has fallen out of the fan base, which is a little bizarre, because I actually get it after the Rams game, where it looked like they got washed off by a better team that, of course, March into Miami and gets obliterated but then against this Saints team and it's a good Saints team they put up I mean obviously a fight the game went to overtime and sure they lost but I guess I'll take an overtime loss over a blowout loss any day if I have to pick between the two but that's just me of course now there's tons of news rolling out of injuries 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 Sam Mustafer this is the center that actually looked a lot better than I expected him to is hurt Cody Whitehair COVID Jason Spriggs COVID uh Jermaine Fady kind of maybe COVID, close contact COVID. (laughs) So at this point, when Matt Nagy says, we don't even know who's starting on the offensive line, I'll tell you guys, I believe him. I don't even think that's coach speak, that they just have no idea what's going to happen. And when it comes to that, that means I look at this Titans game, I have no idea what's going to happen because I don't even know who's going to be on the field. How are you all feeling about this? Not great. I mean, you need, you need an offensive line, and when you have no idea who's going to start, what backups you're actually going to have, uh, that, that's a problem. I mean, especially when you're, you're seeing Jadavion Clowney this, this weekend. I mean, a lot, a lot of people are non-believers in him, but, yeah, he's, there's, these guys are getting to the quarterback. Jeffrey Simmons, I was really high on him last year, and after recovering from ACL surgery, he's, he's looking really good, so – I mean, it's hard to feel good about it. And then you factor in, like, your starting nose tackle this weekend has a fair bet at being Daniel McCullers, who I'm pretty sure hasn't played a snap of football in over a calendar year. I mean, you got an issue here. And that your run defense this year has already been pedestrian at its best. Before guys like Jenkins and Goldman – or before Jenkins got hurt and with Goldman opting out, and you're going to be relying on he McCullers, who's he's massive, which is cool. Doesn't make him any good. Yeah, being massive, massive didn't help Rashad Coward either, did it? Uh, just because oh, he's God, got the size not. profile. Yeah, we don't need to spend too much time oh, on that. Boy. 
I'll tell you one thing that is interesting. You guys talk about offensive line, and we'll try to make this show, because it's a Friday, a little bit less of a review of the Saints game and more of a preview with, I'm sure, some blended thoughts about the game. I'll tell you if there's – I'll give a positive and a negative, right? So the positive is that Matt Nagy quite literally doubled his play-action percentage. Normally he's been running about 16%. In the Saints game, he ran 32%, and it created way cleaner pockets for an offensive line that was piecemeal and that's being nice uh, with two starters, Jermaine Fady. I mean, I swear, Jermaine Fady's been regressing since the first game that he was in. And th- in this game, he looked about as good, if not right at the level of Mustafer, Coward, and the rest of them. But so, I mean, at least you got Leno, which I, I laugh about because Leno is Leno and he draws so much <laughs> fan ire for his style of play. Point being, the Bears offensive line, not great, but Matt Nagy really did do his best with play action with 11 personnel to protect him and manufactured a decent running game against a run defense that's very good. Like 96 yards against the Saints. I didn't look up where it ranks, but it's very, very good against the Saints. I think it's the highest total they've given up this year. That wouldn't shock me at all. To even lastly, I don't think they've had a, in close to a full like 16 games, I don't think they've had a hundred yard game rusher against them. Right. Like, I don't think they've had one single and Montgomery was close. And so. the Bears. And, they, and they're third best behind the behind the Bucks and the Steelers. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. an incredibly good run defense. And the Bears actually found room on the ground with nobody's blocking for them. So that's the good news. Maybe the Bears could build on that. The bad news, the Saints game showed me just how important having a really amazing offensive line is because with what they were able to do up front with guys like Trevon Armistead who are playing with one arm tied behind their back and still one of the best left tackles in football. I mean, it was amazing. They could line up Taysom Hill in the background. Sean Payton might as well have walked on the field and yelled I'm running it guys and he could have even told the defense which direction it was going and they were still getting eight yards on some of those carries there is something to be said for you can't just trot out practice squatters and chalk up the word scheme and expect quality protection and great run blocking and at some point it does come back to Jimmy's and Joe's and the Bears don't have those right and, now. and when you're talking about the offensive line and generalities what do we know Pace doesn't spend draft capital on offensive, offensive line, line. It's, it sounds really stupid and rudimentary. Like, yes, they've got James Daniel, who's a second rounder, and Cody Whitehair, who's regressing after getting his money, weirdly enough, um, on second rounders. But other than that, Afadi's a busted first rounder that isn't theirs on a veteran minimum deal. Your starting right tackle was Bobby Massey, a fourth rounder, who wasn't really all that good before he got here. And also he's, you know, hurt again. And so you're probably starting Rashad Coward at tackle this weekend ish because what could possibly go I think wrong that's the plan that's, and that's probably the plan Dan. so your right card is then bars no he's the center, center. Bars, sorry bars plays bars. center it's the it's musical chairs sorry I'm seventh playing. rounder rookie Hambright, whose te- your... technique was never spectacular needed a couple years to develop was not supposed to play and never played guard in his life was a tackle start. in college so what do we like at a certain point, like you said, Robert, it's the not just—it's not just schematics of—is it outside zone, inside zone? What are your pass block sets? What are your splits on your line? It's who's playing football. Like Teron Armstead is one of the better left tackles in football. I'd say he's probably around the seven-eight area ish. He was a third-round pick. There's not a third-round pick on at tackle on this roster. You have two second-rounders who are 
interior, one of which is hurt, one of which is getting worse after he got paid. You know, technically, Cody Whitehair's a tackle pick out of the second round. But oh, shut it, up. Obviously, go, hey, oh, hey, got you there. Just, oh, he got me. <laughs> he, he was drafted as an offensive tackle out of Kansas State with the intention of everyone knowing he was going to get kicked inside because <laughs> he wasn't athletic enough to do it. I just had to get you with the gotcha. I mean, the point stands. What is it? The Saints line is three first round picks, a second and a third. Like, obviously high investment paid off. And if the Bears don't have a shot at trading up for one of the top four quarterbacks, depending on your evaluation of them. Zach Wilson. Hey, he's the hot name, right? If at this point, if the Bears end up in position to where they can't get one of those offensive lines seems like the gimme choice, because at some point you do need to add some Jimmy's and Joe's to your scheme. The San Francisco 49ers certainly have and their backups are playing well. I mean, that's something that we could talk about. Actually, let's segue right into it. If there is one complaint I have about the Bears, like more bad news, it's that their execution has been kind of bad for weeks now. I mean, going back to the Indianapolis game, where sure, DeForest Buckner and whatnot is a great defense, but they massacred our offensive line. The Buccaneers game, the Bears were decent in terms of execution, but they left probably 13, 14, 17 points on the board in a game where they still ground out 20 and won the game. And everybody just brushed it off at that point and said, hey, we won, whatever. But we left a bunch of points on the board due to missed throws, bad assignments, and the like. We've talked it, or again, with the Rams game about different issues by guys like Cordero Patterson, crappy timeouts in Carolina. We've been down this road, guys, with game management and execution issues. And here against New Orleans, there were still plenty of them. Third and four in the third quarter, the Bears take a delay of game where Nick Foles, uh, Darnell Mooney, and Ryan Nall, for crying out loud, are not on the same page. And Charles Leno has to turn around and tell Nick Foles that, hey, bud, there's two seconds on the play clock. They don't get it off. Then they move into the next drive where Javon Wims, after a nice five-yard gain, gets into a fight which obviously isn't cool, pushes the Bears back to second and 20. And I'm not going to say it forces an interception because that sounds like I'm excusing Foles too much for a chemistry issue between him and Jimmy Graham, where he thought Jimmy Graham was going to play back shoulder off of cover four. Don't know why Graham thought running the route inside was the smart idea, but he does, creates an interception. And then the drive, two drives later, the Bears take a false start on third and six in opposing territory on like the 40. And no, they can't convert the third and 11, push it to fourth and five. And that's where Foles has that fadeaway jumper uh, off of a stunt where two guys get home and it's just nasty all around. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to pretend that the Bears talent is so good that this must be coaching, but you got to expect a little better than some of these mistakes that seem like the kind of things we usually see in jacksonville or in detroit or you guys get the impression you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i mean at a certain point you gotta start executing and i i mean we're probably we're gonna delve into naggy i'm sure at some point in this show and i think a lot of this has to do with as much as i think naggy is a good head football coach there is such a thing as letting inmates run the asylum and at a certain point, you have to make sure you have control of your locker room. Now, do his players respect him? Do they go to bat for him? Absolutely. But when you will have a disciplined demeanor of a head coach, like obviously Belichick's the gold standard. Yeah, he, his guys are disciplined. He doesn't typically have issues with penalties and whatnot on his team. But I'll use a comparison of another guy who's probably one of the top four or five head coaches in football. It happened in Seattle, too where 
he let his guys patrol and police the locker room and do what they wanted. And eventually the inmates took over and they had to get, that's why the Legion of Boom ceases to exist at this day. Everybody had to go. Sherman, uh, Kenny, Chancellor. Cam Chancellor, Bobby Browner, who's a bad human being, and uh, Earl Thomas, they all are gone. Like, their defense is now awful. They're still winning football games because of Russ. But he had to get back his locker room in some sense because the inmates were running the asylum. I don't know how far along this is and if Negi can potentially get it back and kind of wind his guys in a little bit. But I think that might have a little bit to do with it. Like I said, it's not a disrespect thing like what happened with Mark Tressman, where the players are just like, shut up, dude, you're an idiot. Or so much as they just know that Negi isn't going to say anything. And there's just it's just a it's just a style of coaching. One thing that I'll throw out there that I really don't know the answer to, and so I'll kick it over to you, Brandon. I know that it felt as if things were going on on the Bears' sidelines that I'd never seen before. Like certainly Allen Robinson needed to walk all the way to the defensive end just to cool off. I don't remember that happening in recent memory, and it did feel much more Tressman-like than others. Is that sort of thing more common on a football sideline than it looks like? Because I can tell you that my highest level of football just is not that high. It's it's a it's common. a lot more common it's than you. Very common. You you okay. always you always get situations like I remember in Dallas whenever Des would freak out, and you would always get it like on Sports Center they play it over and over and over again. But you get you get you get those situations on the best teams. You definitely get them on the worst teams. But there there is no single team that you don't like because if te- tempers are flaring, that's not always a bad thing. It just it means people care. When you, guys, when you get guys that are just walking off the field that just, like, act like they don't give a shit, like like that's, Dallas that's when you have a problem. It. Like the like Dallas defensive Andy it. Dalton, where Dalton got concussed by John Bostick in a and nobody came nasty to his, hit. And nobody came and to his rescue. Nobody did anything. Right, exactly. And then you get the, the Russell Wilson just last week. He, get, he gets hit, but it's really his fault. He was trying to draw the penalty. And then there's almost a fight on the field just because, like, they care that much. Like they're mm-hmm. they're sitting there just waiting for someone to disrespect their teammate, and then they're jumping in. That makes a lot of sense, and it's great to hear. Because I'll tell I mean, you let's, what, let's also just as a perspective like this, Robinson's a team leader. He's a captain of that offense. He is the best player, and it's really not even close on oh, your right. offense. Not well, at all. <laughs> that's um, the thing. How does it look if he's screaming at Matt Nagy just? cutting his nuts off in front of national television on the game of the week. Wouldn't you rather have him kind of just yelling at at nothing by himself? I mean, like Brandon and I have both said, he's not hurting anybody. He's it's completely normal. You saw, like, I mean, it's better than like the, the counter of it of where he's either a bottling it up and just completely like whatever or B, he's just screaming at Nick Foles or, right. or whoever, his, the line. Like, what? It, that's just how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Another and example, I'll, I remember the, the Cardinals against the Seahawks game. In the middle of the game, one of their tight ends missed a block on a screen, and Kyler completely screamed at him. And they had to be separated, but then they came back and won the game. Like, that's just – that's 
some of the stuff that you'll get when you it's have also to, different you have when it's a quarterback screaming else. at somebody versus a wide receiver screaming at somebody. Well, yeah, but you got you got one team leader and another team leader. Like, right. I'm just you, saying, you're trying and, to get your team leader to hold everybody else accountable. Yeah, and it's speaking, also just different. Speaking man. of being <laughs> held accountable, just to make sure that we don't spend too or like. I have to mention that when – I'm always a big fan of when anybody wants to talk the talk, I love to see them walking the walk too. It, it makes the talk stronger. Uh, and Allen Robinson ran some bad routes, like in the good way. In, the, in this Saints game, that corner route yeah, he I mean, ran for the for touchdown. Second, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> what? No, like he, he ran some nasty, filthy routes. Like just the corner route he ran into the end zone completely fooled everybody on the field. That fourth and two route at the very end of the game, he put the guy on the ground. The play action play he had for 28 yards, he, his man was off in nowhere while he was all alone in the middle of the field. Allen Robinson, to his credit, is not just a team leader in what he says, but in this game, he looked like that elite wide receiver we've been waiting for him to really look like oh, this season. And sure, while there wasn't any like wild contested catches, that third and 15 he picked up in overtime was nothing short of massive. And the taking touch, it back, what? The touchdown, the touchdown grab where he's fully horizontal and the ball doesn't move when he grabs it. Yeah. Massive. He, he has, he's one of the six or seven best receivers in football, if not better. And, and even if he's game. not, he's at the very least a wide receiver one for the Bears. And that's a big deal because your best guy taking on their best corner needs to win in the modern offenses. It's one of, the, one of my favorite things to watch is you get a one-on-one situation. And Allen Robinson isn't one of these guys that's just going to like blow past somebody like Tyreek Hill. He's going to take advantage of the defender's leverage and then just attack it. Just watching a technician go to work is it's, – it's one of the most beautiful things you'll see in football. And not to be super corny, but it seems like it's rubbing off on Darnell Mooney, who oh, on that 50-yard reception, he completely faints his man on the outside leverage and then rushes right up the inside, blows past him immediately, and Foles puts out a nice ball that he's able to haul in. I mean, the effect that That's Robinson has – on the rest of his receivers is palpable. It's becoming obvious, and there's something to be said for somebody who can lead not just from the front, but also bringing guys up to another level. Which, speaking of, I think that's as good a time to talk about it. If there's one player from this game that I think that there's a lot of positivity to take away from, Anthony Miller had a very, very good game. And if the Bears offense is going to build something successful, they're going to need him to do it or continue to do it, because as that quick-footed possession receiver that was able to win short routes and even potentially threatened deep, he looked great and supports Mooney and Robinson really well. Yeah, we've been calling for 11 personnel and running in those lighter personnel situations, and they finally ran it. But one of the things that you're worried about when they're running that 11 personnel is Anthony Miller. So it's, it's awesome to see him take advantage of the opportunities when you get them because he's, course, he's an elite yeah receiver against man coverage too he's he's great at taking advantage of the defenders leverage and so I I hope we see more of that going forward I actually think they're they're they took the the right foot forward um towards having success on offense 
to your despite, point, despite what's happening with the offensive line. To your point, I my number one worry, and it's going to make a big difference to me. So I remember I came out of the Rams game saying to myself, I really have no idea whether Matt Nagy knows anything. Maybe he's just had me fooled because this Rams game was terrible. Like our offense looked bad. It didn't look set up well to succeed. Uh, everything changed. I mean, De- or Demetrius Harris got benched for Kmet. We didn't exactly see a discernible difference. In fact, Kmet almost fumbled the game away, but he tried to make changes that were Worked. He gave Mitch Trubisky the Taysom Hill package. He doubled his play action. And he percentage. got hurt on his one play. He, sure, Ooh. but Matt Nagy, <laughs> from the schematic perspective, made all of the changes you'd want to see. Exactly. The run game yeah. got legitimately creative such that they were able, one of my favorites, on that 38-yard run. What I don't think people realize is that Matt Nagy had been setting up this idea that where Cordero Patterson goes, the run goes the other way for almost three other plays, including one where Patterson got the give as Miller ran the other direction so when Patterson swept from left to right and Montgomery got the ball and ran up the C gap on the right side the Saints lineman that ends up giving away the massive hole pinches in hard towards that a gap because he thinks he knows where Montgomery's going with it he's wrong and Spriggs wastes him away and creates this massive lane for Montgomery to heat up break a tackle and spring that 38 yard gain that's the kind of little change in the ground game that helps open up seams same thing with the lone linebacker. He takes himself completely out of the play because he, he also thinks that Cordell Patterson's getting the ball. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this is all the stuff that, for, again, from a schematic perspective, it was good to see. If you asked me right now what I thought of Matt Nagy, I would tell you now more than ever, I'm pretty much certain that he's a good offensive coordinator. It's his head coaching that I'm starting to worry about because when your wide receiver, again, gets into a fight in the middle of a game where by reports like the Twitter thread that we all probably saw, he'd basically been stewing on getting back at the Saints player for almost 11 minutes it's that's a problem like you can't have that in these big football games if not ever and I don't mean to be too disciplinarian last thing I'm going to do is be one of these guys railing about accountability but you it's hard to win football games when you take 15 yard penalties out of absolutely nowhere in the middle of an offensive skid and it's something we'll need to see clean up in here in the future yeah I mean you don't you don't want selfish situations like that where He's obvious, like he, like as you said, he's it's stewing in his in his brain, and he has time to think about it. And he decided that he was going to do it at the worst time possible. Like Not he didn't wait. He didn't wait till after the game. He made the selfish decision. Like I know I'm going to hurt my team. I'm still going to use my fist and hit him in the helmet, even though he, he like he has he has a helmet on. So I'm going to hurt myself more than him, just so I can potentially, maybe, possibly hurt him but not really. And have a much better chance at breaking your own damn hand, looking like an idiot. And on top of that, and it sounds really stupid to put it this way, but it's the honest to God truth. You're Javon damn wins. Who the hell are you? You don't get to do that. And that's where if you're, I'm I'm with you, Rob, I'm not all about, Oh, be Mr. Disciplinarian, hard ass. I'm not saying go be him. Like yeah, it, when, no, whenever a left tackle in, makes in a mistake, his, that is, kind of is, thing. Is, is in his instance, the second that game's over, you give him his red tag in his locker, he's gone. It's over with. I really that's might have. Selfish, that's a selfish move by a player who doesn't warrant it. And honestly, if at least he'd been covered by the cornerback, I would have said he that's went really, really bad. But yeah, he, he went in from the outside 
to take him out in the slot. And it was the sort of thing that, again, you it, it was way more reminiscent of the Steve Moore-Todd Bertuzzi incident. Obviously, didn't have the same consequence where, uh, for those of you who don't know hockey, Steve Bertuzzi, or Todd Bertuzzi went out of his way to hit Steve Moore, a defender that had done something that he didn't like and ended up paralyzing the guy on a cheap shot. Wims took the same cheap shot. It obviously didn't have the same impact, but it got penalized, I thought, perfectly appropriately. And to think that he got out of that pile clapping and pointing the other way was even more embarrassing, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's selfish by a player who really shouldn't be taking that sort of chance. He was stewing on it for 11 minutes. Let it go. And by this point, if you watch football in any capacity and don't know that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is an irritant, you're an idiot. He got (laughs) popped by his own teammate in practice. Mike Thomas punched this man. His job, his game is winning up here because he feels winning up in, in your head wins on the field. And he's right to an extent. He's not the first guy to do this. Do you guys remember Cortland Finnegan? Of course I remember Cortland Finnegan. Yeah. Who was the most cool receiver in the league? Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson. And he got under Andre Johnson's skin, and they had an all-out brawl on the football field for one game. I think it was like in 2012 or 13. It's going Mm -hmm. back some years. But to just – yeah, Andre Johnson got away with it because he's a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Mm -hmm. You're Javon Wims, the fourth receiver on a not-so-good receiving core, on a bad offense. What are you doing? It's got to clean up. I mean, it, it, yeah. there's no other way to say it. Because when you look at this game, I don't know about what y'all thought. The four-play touchdown drive was the prettiest drive the Bears have had this season. The Bears' offense answered appropriately down 10 points in the fourth quarter and even to the score. Again, they did it in their very standard two steps forward, one step back, another step back, now two steps forward uh, kind of pattern where it's like it leaves us going, oh, but okay, they got it. Oh, that worked. Oh, that was bad. Oh, no, they got it again. No better play series speaking of than when we I think it was that second touchdown of the game that we scored and the Bears got to the red zone they ran two plays that lost three yards Foles lofted up a nice ball that gets defensive pass interference to Jimmy Graham they run two more runs that lose two yards and then they finally get in the end zone this offense is incredibly herky-jerky and we know that so those extra mistakes like the false starts delay of games fights uh they tend to hurt the Bears and that's where, as much as I do agree with you, Matt Nagy, the, play, the, the offensive coordinator, I would go a different route and saying he, the play designer, the understanding of offense is good. The reason it's probably clunky and herky-jerky, I still don't think he has a feel for a damn thing in the world. I think he just throws darts at a board, picks a play, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. There's no – to me, when I watch him call offense, and I'm watching this, obviously different eyes see – or different feel, whatever. I just don't think he has any sort of feel for calling a football game. And it's just one of those things I can't shake that feeling. I watch it, and I'm like, why does this offense always feel so damn disjointed and clunky? It's – yeah, it's part – it's in part to talent. I think it's also in part to he has no – and it's part of he only called a handful of games in Kansas city before even getting to Chicago and taking over the reins of both a head coach and a play caller and the offensive designer, everything. But at a certain point, I just don't, it's just to me, certain things you either have it or you don't. I don't think he has a feel for calling plays in a moment. 
I have a or I have something I want to hit you with because I literally just thought about it and I want to kick it over to Brandon and see what he also thinks about this because I think I have figured out or may have just had a guess anyways for why it is that Nagy seems so random in his play calling. I think that because of the talent the Bears have, because let's be honest, guys, they don't well, exactly the chicken or the egg. They well, they yeah. don't exactly have. Let me let's make sure that we're clear on what I'm saying. They don't okay. have the personnel the Saints do to where they can run almost literally whatever they want sometimes and have it potentially work. Where they can line up against a nine man box and say, I mean, our guys can block everybody. Who cares? And just run it and see if it works. The Bears need a six man box to run the ball, maximum seven. They need to take the gimmies when they can get them. And that means, Dan, I think we're seeing Nagy let the defense call his plays for him. So if they line up in 11 personnel and they sit seven men in the box with one guy in off coverage, guess what? The guy in off coverage is getting the ball. He's getting it on a short route, and they're going to try to take seven free yards. If they line up in press coverage, maybe they'll throw in a play action after a run play so that they can try to hit the guy deep. Again, if you watch the Bears, there's very little we are going to establish ourselves in terms of what they do. They let the defense kind of choose for them, and I, I'm sure that could feel really random if you don't get used to that pattern. Maybe that's what's going on. It's not even that, man. It's also the personnel choices. There's just random guys running on and off the field every time there's a play call. He doesn't stick with, like, 11 personnel or 13 personnel for an extended period. He just picks something and does it. Like like I said, it just fe- – and it could be, yeah, but I feel like it's the chicken or the egg. Is he doing this because of or is he doing it in spite of, you know? Like – I don't know because we haven't seen him with truly good offensive talent. But my, my inclination would be at this point, based on almost two and a half seasons of play calling, I think he's this guy. He's the, the wizard of packages. He wants, you, he wants to show you his big football brain. And that's, again, I said it last show that I was on, it's the Andy Reid in him. There's a reason Andy Reid still considers Matt Nagy his best coaching protege because he is Andy Reid with about 150 pounds off of him, but he's just not good at it. And every play caller has some, let me show you my brain. Sean McVay has it. Kyle Shanahan has it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like when I watch Kyle Shanahan, for instance, I feel like there's a rhythm and a tempo and a reason. I don't feel that way when I watch Matt Nagy call plays. And it's not like, the Niners are particularly good this year. They're decimated by injury, and he's still just being Kyle Shanahan. So I guess that's what I'm that that's what I get when I watch. I don't know. For me, I think they're I think they're running in the complete right direction. Like we've been we've been calling for eleven personnel over and over and over. And like I've said previously, my my thinking was I was never really worried about his play calling. I was more worried about his offensive philosophy coming into the season, thinking that they were going to run the ball with 12 and 13 personnel, which doesn't really make sense because you don't want bigger boxes and then running the ball. You want, as Rob said, you want smaller boxes and then you can run the ball. So you've seen, you've seen them run more at this game, especially run more 11 personnel because like Rob said, Reading the defense, that I'm is not that is disputing exact, that, that is exactly. Though, I'm not a, I'm not disputing the packages he's running. I'm disputing why the hell is something being called and when something else is working. 
Like I'll use the play where he's running too tight. That's the, the, the drive where he's running too tight end against Carol or a couple weeks ago. He's running too tight end the whole way down the field. It's moving. It's moving. It's moving. All of a sudden he's in the red zone. Oh, let me show you my four wide receiver package with an offhand with an, with a left side boot to Nick Foles that ends up in an interception. There's no reason to call that. It felt clunky. It's, it's a feel thing. It doesn't feel like anything makes sense. He's ju- like I said, he's got packages. He's got schematics. I don't understand why he does what he does. Well, this game, they, they ran a lot of RPOs, and they were successful with it because when Rob talks about reading the defense, that's exactly what they're doing. They're reading the defense, seeing on RPOs, you're, you're reading. Right. I, I know if how you RPOs get one less guy in the box. And, I mean, that's what they did. They I don't really think you're catching what I'm, what I'm saying. I no, understand I'm, how RPOs. I'm catching, I'm catching what you're saying. And – I just, I just think that we just disagree on the topic. Right, and I, that's fine. Yeah. I can tell you I have no idea how to judge play, call, or feel because I've never called plays. So I can't talk about and what does if he is letting – and, and then it's an indictment on Negi, in my opinion. He came here and in his press conference says, we're going to make the defense dic- – we're going to make – we're going to dictate what the defense does, not the other way around. If he's letting it be this way, he's a liar and he backed down. Which I would get. I mean, for me, that's just coach speak. <laughs> but, but you can't be the, we're going to take it to the defense and then all of a sudden be clunky and weird when the defense is stopping you. You got to continue to try to take it to them. Either it, way, guys, yeah. we've got to step aside and let the sponsors get a word in for a second. I, we're way over time on that. So let's quickly take a breath and we'll let the sponsors get their word in. All right, we are back with the rule of three, where I, Robert Schmitz, Danny Meehan, and Brandon Robinson are both talking through the ups and downs of the Saints game, and as we'll get to later, a little more on the Bears versus Titans game and what that probably means for the rest of the season. And I do agree with you, Dan. I mean, there's some there's something to be said for Matt Nagy. Be I'll use the word that you picked. It's not what I would choose, calling him a liar, because I do think that a lot of coach speak is sort of like well, very coaches, coaches lie. Yeah, it's a known thing. But it is kind of funny because you bring up something. One of my favorite pieces of coach speak is coach is always talking about wanting to be aggressive. And in this Bears defense, for instance, where I'll give you guys the highlights because we could spend an entire podcast talking about it. The Drew Brees-led offense, even though it only had Galvin Kamara and to some degree their tight end cook, they were able to slice and dice up a good Bears defense and take advantage of every mistake the Bears made, which wasn't that many because their really good offensive line gave Drew Brees all the time he wanted. He ultimately wasn't under pressure even when the bears beat their or them as far as pass rush goes the linemen were able to push them just far enough off the pass rushing angle to where drew Brees always had a place to go and it was i mean it, it was a really nice reminder uh, probably not nice to bears fans that in the modern day and age good offense beats good defense especially when they're tied and as much as that sucks it's kind of just the way it is right now but you talk about being aggressive and a lot of fans in the wake of this bears game have called for more blitzes now nobody blitzes drew Brees with sanity uh because drew Brees will pick you apart if you throw more at their offensive line especially since they're usually able to soak the blockers without any problem but it does remind me of probably one of my favorite criticisms of Nagy, and i'm so certain Brandon's going to disagree with me on this. When Matt Nagy called that timeout at set, er, on third and 13, I was livid because I was perfectly comfortable going to half three to 13. I was like, we are good to go. Like we don't need the ball. We don't need third, they're three to 16. Like 
all you're doing is giving a good Saints offense a chance to convert. They did. They got all the way down the field. And, of course, in hindsight, I look correct, and I totally get aggression. I really do. But I almost wonder if whether when, it, when you are the Bears, maybe the smart decision, like he made last week against the Rams, is, nah, don't force him to punt. What are you going to do with 25 seconds? And I kind of wish he'd followed that same logic here because he got ripped up for it in the press clippings last week. But it, I thought it cost him seven points here, and maybe that was the game. Doesn't I mean, it kind... definitely cost him seven points. But, I mean, it goes, it goes back to process versus result. I mean, when you, get a, when you get a good process but a bad result, you kind of look like an idiot. And I think that's exactly what happened. You don't, you don't expect them to basically – because it was only a – they got 12 and a half yards on it, so it's basically a conversion. You don't expect them to convert it, even though it's just like a screen to Kamara – like, I think it was more on the defense than it was on Matt Nagy calling the timeout. Because fair. it's third and 13, what, what do you expect? Okay, well, he's not going to throw the ball downfield in the middle of the field. I expect them to throw a screen to Kamara. That's exactly what they did. They threw a tunnel screen to Kamara, and they got a bunch of yards. I don't really know why the defense was called off guard, but they, but they were. <laughs> I, think, I think that instance specifically, like, I'm kind of with Brandon. I didn't, I didn't mind the timeout because your defense to that point in the game was quote unquote balling and stopping them and having their way essentially what, but it's a damned if you do damned if you don't situation. And especially in the eyes of critics, fans, podcasters, yep. morons like us. Absolutely. It's if, cause if he doesn't do it and he milks the clock, well, what are you doing? Your defense is playing so good. You could have got the right. ball back with 40 seconds left and, and whatever. And to which I would say to that person, I'd be like, well, they aren't good on offense what do you expect them to do but <laughs> i mean <laughs> to your point dan matt Nagy might be over on all of the aggressive versus potentially conservative decisions he's made here he makes the aggressive one it bites it him in the butt. he goes yeah. for the second and 11 back shoulder to robinson in the tampa bay game they don't catch it he goes for the jump balls in the end zone to robinson they end up as interceptions for crying out loud like and i feel i feel like that's so comical because if i'm going to be um his critic Nagy's critic that is I feel like he really, really struggles with being aggressive. So it's really <laughs> funny seeing like him finally get the confidence to be. <laughs> and then it backfires. It doesn't work out. <laughs> it doesn't work so, ever. How, how is this going to play out next game? Is he, is he going to come out with the same aggression, which he should, or is he going to back off? Like th- these are some of the things that I like, I love to see like what's going to happen. Is he going to stick to his guns and still be aggressive? Or is he going to back off and be a coward? And to your point, Brandon, it's my job to look into this podcasting microphone and say, dude, you're the Bears. Like, you can't be that confident in your <laughs> offense. And, and you ca- you've got to at least respect the defense or, like, the offense of the Saints. I trust the Saints more on a third and 13 than I do with no time at all. Like, I'm perfectly comfortable taking three to 13. But as a football coach, you're supposed to trust your players. I feel like sometimes that's underrated. Matt Patricia cannot look at his Lions and say, I think our defense sucks. Because that's sort of an indictment of not only his own (laughs) process, but the guys that he chose and puts in those positions. Like, he knows them on a personal level. If you're not trusting your defense in that moment, saying, I believe in you guys to get us the ball back, and trusting your offense, bad as we may think it is, you look like, to use Brandon's word, 
kind of a coward. And so it's easy for us to sit back and say, I didn't like it, be more conservative. But Madden's, or, but uh, Nagy's not playing Madden. Like, he's coaching a real football and, team, and those sorts of decisions affect the locker room. Yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, but just kind of a shoot-off of that final drive leading to half. That, that defensive series was an embodiment of my whole problem with the defensive game plan. You know Drew Brees can't throw more than 60 yards at this point in his career. Why are you playing off and giving them the nickel and dime stuff when you know that's what he's going to throw anyway? If I would have – me, all things being equal, if I would have – I would have just been pressing him all game. And if Breeze can muster up a 40-yard throw and he gets seven out of it, tip of the hat. What was My really thing is, you only have one guy that can really press, and that's Jalen Johnson. Right. And so then you get then you get in the spot where you, you're pressing a bunch of guys that can't really press. But but you're then you're 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 daring a 42 year old Drew Brees, who's got the lowest average depth of target in the NFL, to beat you deep. At a certain right. point, you gotta just try something. Which I totally get. But you want to hear something sad, Dan? The only time that Drew Brees threw deep at all, like waited in the pocket, was the moment that they took Mac off the field. Like it was very deliberate. Mac was mm-hmm. on the field. They threw short. They threw short. They threw short. Oh, now it's just Hicks and Quinn. We're good. Go deep to or go deep at Kyle Fuller, which worked. Drew penalty. The play that I thought typified the Bears game against the Saints the most, and I hated this, just to be clear, I hated this play, was I heard a lot about how the Bears didn't do enough to cover Alvin Kamara. Well, whenever they tried, Drew Brees roasted them for it. And the play that sticks out to me, it even ended up in an incompletion, is where it's, I think, second, yeah, it is. It's second and 13 or something like that. Maybe second and 10 on the 13-yard line. And to Sean Gibson, who had a bad game dude like Brandon's talked a lot about covering grass Gibson looked terrible in this game but he comes races downfield to help Roquan Smith bracket Alvin Kamara on a down where it seems like the Saints are just going to take some short yardage and take one plunk into the end zone Drew Brees sees it immediately throws perfect timing to Jared Cook and totally misses the throw like he's way behind him it's not a good throw but the point is the opportunity was open because the Bears dared to bracket Kamara and that left the Bears in this tough spot all game long where if, if Kamara got a double team, somebody else was a single covered, and Breeze went and found the matchup, well, which there sucked. Was, there was also a couple times where Breeze did find that matchup, and it's poor number 52 trying to cover Alvin Kamara in space. And yep. that's, not, that's not a matchup you like. Well, especially again, when Gibson... That was probably Gibson out of position yet again. <laughs> That's the thing, Dan, because we looked at it. Brandon and I did. I was like, what in the world's going on here? And it looks like when Roquan Smith vacates that middle zone, you would expect the safety to Sean Gibson to, down. to yep. run right in and take it. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do, put Mac in the middle? Like, uh, who's yeah, who's doing damn that? right you are. He's, he's number 52, Mr. All-Pro at two different positions. Yeah, you bet. But not Neither of those positions require him to cover people mm-hmm. damn it <laughs> Ro- roquan and matt couldn't be more different in that they are incredibly specialized individuals they are very good athletes at their positions and that's something that gosh if there's anything that i wish i could change if roquan smith could have caught that interception and taken it all the way back not only do the bears win but it's cement it would have cemented him in the minds of the media which nobody really cares but it's kind of fun when people honor a player that's playing as well as he is roquan smith since the carolina game has looked like an all-pro that would have been a very, quote-unquote, all-pro moment. Instead, the opportunity, quite literally, slips through his fingers, and the Bears end up losing the game. Huge bummer. 
But as we turn the page a little bit and get to Tennessee, I don't know how to feel about this because part of me wants to immediately go, yep, chalk it up, L, that's it, we lose. But the Bengals just beat this team with all five linemen out. Like, all five starters were gone, and they still managed it. And granted, I would also love to have Joe Burrow and T. Higgins on this offense. Like, I can meet you guys there. But in a very up-and-down game, the Titans weren't able to muster the offense that they normally do. I think the Bears and the Cincinnati defense, obviously, they're different, but they're not they're both quite good. And if they can catch the Titans on a bad week, granted, both teams will be looking to respond here. Who knows? Maybe they could do the whole corny facing adversity thing and pull a win out of the dumpster. I mean, they really, they really need to. I mean, you, no one wants to lose three games in a row. Cause that's when, that's when hell starts breaking loose. So yeah, they need a win. They need to stop the run. Finally. Like they, they sucks that they had to face Derrick Henry, but I mean, you just have to find a way and, to stop the run. Yeah. You got to find a way and you're facing Derrick Henry as he's hitting his groove. He wasn't hey. that great to start the year and he's now getting better. I'll throw a note of positivity out as far as stopping Derrick or stopping Derrick Henry. To be honest, after the Saints game, I didn't really care. Like whether it was Taysom Hill or Alvin Kamara, it was their line that made the difference. And the Bears will not be facing a line that is as good as the Saints. As I they think take you're underappreciating how good the Titans line is. I it's a different I'm, style line, but they're still pretty good. Oh, they're pretty good. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say they're somehow bad. It's more when you square up against the best, anybody else is a step back. And actually, that's not a bad way to segue into this offense could do a little more damage than we're expecting against this Titans defense that's got a bunch of big names. Certainly, they just traded for Desmond King. They have Davion Clowney and others, but they're giving up a lot right now. And sure, I'm sure I'm already setting myself up for massive disappointment, but (laughs) the hopeful Bears fan. I think you're going to be really sad. (laughs) <laughs> the, ho- the hopeful Bears fan in me says that if the Bears can roll out a similar game plan to what they had last week, come up with a little creativity, find some wrinkles, who knows? They could squeeze out 23 points again, maybe even 26, and that might Ooh. be enough. I know. In Chicago, in Chicago, if you can put two blank on the board, you got a shot to win the game. We are a weird football team. I believe since Desmond King was traded for this week, he, I don't has think he to can't sit, play. Right? Desmond King's not playing this week, right? So that I mean that helps out because their corners have been one of the really best bad. nickel, one of the best nickelbacks and best punt returners in football being out helps you. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm saying I'm saying like the Titans have been bad, like they don't get oh, yeah. oh absolutely Desmond King. So like you can expect that to continue for them to be bad. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, seeing the the Bears receivers do pretty well. I think you can take advantage of some of those matchups. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. That's that's obviously the goal. Now, we'll see with Jadavion and Harold Landry and those boys. Like, I I understand that, yeah, there's the, the Bengals did it, but Joe Burrow moves a little bit. I don't think he's a great athlete, but he can move and buy himself a little bit of time with his feet. Yeah, that Nick, sweet triple tackle break where he picked he, up, what, he's five a yards? Mix. He's a magician in the pocket. And he's going to have – and Nick Foles' default setting when he's under duress is to back foot, fade, back foot throw the ball as far as he can. Well, yeah, you know – I think that's one of the problems, like really bad problems I've, I've seen out of Foles is he's drifting further and further in the box. 
I think it's what he's when he ta- should be stepping. I up honest to God think it's what he's taught himself to do to avoid getting hurt, like he has every year of his life. He's he's defaulted to falling with the hit. It's learning how to get hit. It's it's a dumb thing, but football players when they change levels or change whatever have to learn how to get hit. I think that's what he's taught himself to do in order to absorb the hit easier. Speaking well, that of that, that ain't it. <laughs> I have I have a sneaking suspicion, as a matter of fact, that the coaches are telling him to. Because in 2017, 2018, with the Eagles, even with Jacksonville, he got hit not doing that. Like he he hurt himself in a play where he stepped into the throw and launched a gorgeous touchdown pass to Chark. You almost wonder right. if somebody like whether it's Matt Nagy, John De Filippo, or somebody else has basically looked at him and said, "Dude, you're it." Like, we can't have you getting hurt. You got a lot of football left to play. So I don't care if, like, can't block McGee is out there for you. You've got to figure it out. And I do enjoy – that's my favorite draft prospect this year, can't <laughs> I block know. McGee. A lot of potential out of McGee. But so uh, the one thing I will say, Dan, is Foles gets blitzed more than a lot of quarterbacks I've seen. Like, I looked it up on Pro Football Reference. He got – he, in the last four games, has gotten blitzed 15 or more times three times so he gets blitzed a ton because people are aware that the bears offensive line is struggles to handle a lot of it and that if they can affect Foles, they can get the ball out well, it's really funny that you do describe the line as struggling when they're just outright bad you can c- call them bad they're bad they're it's bad fine. Uh, it's, it's fine but also but, just looking at nick Foles, he like this, he doesn't move. Sound, he sounds, can't move. This sounds made up, but as a defense coordinator, just looking at him, I want to blitz him. Yeah. <laughs> looks like a guy, yeah. Looks like a guy I, I'll be able to blitz. Like, I want to make him crap his pants. That's right. what I want to do. what I think is funny, so you guys talked about his default setting. I'd say Nick Foles' default setting is just the, the very standard, like, get the ball out quick to where you barely noticed it was a blitz. And most of the time, he can do that. But the perfect example that I will point out is on that fourth and five play, which I think was Foles' most infamous drift and drift and drift and drift and lock, lob the ball back up. If you go back and watch – Foles is just trying to stay alive so that Allen Robinson can break and he still has to throw it early, which I'm not trying to say like, hey, Nick Foles is fine. He's the perfect quarterback. Stop making fun of my favorite player. That's not what I'm trying to go say here. It's more to say that there are some of these plays where the play call itself kind of sells Foles out and he has to find a way to stay alive for that extra amount of time. And as you can see, it's not working. Like, this isn't a solution that anybody's giving a thumbs up on and saying, hey, that that was a great play. Good try. We'll get him next time. But (laughs) there's also no room to step up in some of these situations. I'll totally agree with you that he's falling out or he's falling backwards way too often. But given the options that are still available in the quarterbacking room, which at the moment looks like Tyler Bray, I'll, I'll take him staying upright as, as long as he can keep doing what he did, getting the, or like making plays when the play is available. That third and 15 throw to Allen Robinson was nothing short of fabulous. So was the third and 19 throw to, uh, to Anthony Miller. Sure. He missed a deep one to Darnell Mooney. He hit the other one that basically all this to say, if you asked me personally, no, I don't love Nick Foles. No, I don't think he's an MVP or candidate but he is doing enough good to where i'm not whining too hard and everything else seems like something you can try to cover with scheme or pin on bad players up front yeah i feel like this is this is even more of a test than last week last week was like a test you know what's not gonna work you know what might work and so now they'll they know what is going to work 
And now let's see if we can capitalize it on a consistent basis against a poor defense. So we need to continue to run 11 personnel like we did and continue, continue to have success on the ground. I'll, I'll hold my breath. <laughs> hey, I, all I'll say is I might end up dead holding my breath, but I'm going to hold my breath. For crying out loud, Danny, in a game where it looked like Jason Spriggs gave up five pressures, uh, even he was able to open up a massive, massive hole See, for a running game. Spriggs uh, was all that bad. Ooh, then go watch again. Like, oh, I, I, I don't think he was good. Don't mistake not being bad for good. It's the absence of suck. It's the John Fox effect. It's I, the absence of suck. And there at the end of the game, Cam Jordan got his number. And you'd look at him and oh, say – one of the best 40-front defensive ends in football got a, a, a right tackle's number who hasn't played in two seasons. Sure thing, but we kill tons of tackles for losing to guys that are really, really good. If Joey Bosa beats you three times, you suck. Just And that doesn't matter that oh, well, Joey Bosa yeah. is incredibly good. So Joey, Joey I look Bosa at things like – I maybe it's just because I'm the guy who tried to defend – or had the gall to defend Charles Leno for going 7 out of 10 against Brian Burns. But I look at – some Brian of these Burns things and, is hellaciously good, though. Brian Burns is incredibly good, and Charles <laughs> Leto is not at that level. That's, 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 that's sort point. of my point. That's the point. <laughs> it is when, yeah. when Spriggs gets beat, oh, gosh, it must have been like five snaps out of maybe eight there at the end of the game. I look and I go, that's, that's what you get out of a replacement-level tackle against yeah. some of these players because they're not benching their guy. Like Harold Landry and Jadavian Clowney aren't not playing because of the Bears' injuries. Right. You face who you face. It I sucks. guess it's just – it's not an apple – the way I'm looking at it is it's not apples to apples. You're comparing a top 20 start left, starting left tackle in football to a of guy course. who's one of the ascending young pass rushers versus a dude who's probably a fourth tackle on most teams. I'm saying he wasn't god-awful. Former second-round pick, maybe even first. Yeah, uh, <laughs> was, a, was a former second-round pick out of Indiana University, my friend. Who's your – Protesting who's your, Nate Dam Sudfeld. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! But yeah, I mean, I think you guys said it really well. As corny as it sounds, because sometimes you can get deep into football analytics. We could talk about DVOA. We could talk about like pressure rates. We could talk about all this crazy, kooky, numerical stuff, technique things. Sometimes football really does come down to the corny guys in the locker room that are saying, hey, you're facing a lot of adversity. Show me something. And as silly as it sounds, there, I mean, so I didn't pick, let, let me put it this way. I didn't pick Cincinnati to beat Tennessee either. I well, thought they were going to get idiot, destroyed. Uh, it, it's because I hate the Bengals. But so <laughs> I, I think the Titans at their best are the class of the NFL. Like they play, they have played some fabulous football this year. And there's a reason that they were the guys that, if I'm remembering correctly, they kind of exposed the Bills for maybe not quite as good as we expected them to be. Well, and right? Josh Allen regressing to the mean doesn't help them either. Sure. But. Not at all. But it's more to say that this is a very tough football game. It's the one that over the last two, I had had marked as a loss from pretty much the start and was hoping that we would get one against the Rams and the Saints. But there's a reason the games aren't playing on paper. And To your point, Robert, what I guess the only way to say it is the the way I would describe any given Sunday. You don't know what can happen. No idea. And And for as good as Tannehill's been, if all of a sudden you've got – Maybe Robert Quinn finally shows up again. I'm waiting for it to happen. It's not happening. It's making me look really good by him. It's making our podcast name look terrible, too, by the way. Yeah, I don't love it. <laughs> but, um, we tried. But, you know, like, 
you can get to Tannehill. And I've even been on record as saying Tannehill isn't just a guy you can – he's not just replacement level, as I kind of thought for a while. Absolutely not. Not even he's, – He's legitimately – he's a good starting NFL quarterback. Very I don't think good. he's win because of guy, but he's you can win with guy. Mm. I, I think I think all that stuff can get really complex. I mean, certainly yeah. if you put Tannehill in, if the Bears signed Ryan Tannehill, I would sp- expect him to go right back into the tank because if you ask Tannehill well, to make too many quick yeah. reads, he's going to give it up occasionally. But and he's he also got Derrick Henry and that offensive line keeping him upright. That's that where my hope here in this game, helps. if there's if there's somebody I want to see something from, we can all kind of go through, give some X factors, right? On offense, I want to see, obviously, I, I don't expect more from Foles than I would normally get. I want to see Anthony Miller keep things going. Uh, we're going to need him, Darnell Mooney, and Robinson to have a really nice game, but Miller's that extra receiver that when you can get oh, three God. guys going, obviously that's helpful. But it's the defense where Eddie Jackson can control this game because his ability to take away massive amounts of space in the open field can really limit a play-action attack that often is only going to have, what do you guys think, two, three receiving options? And if Eddie Jackson, with his range, can get in position to take away often some of the the primary routes or let alone two routes at a time, that's going to be a huge win for a defense that needs those play-action routes as covered as possible. Yeah, you see, you see Tannehill throw into a lot of tight windows. He's, he's not shy about that at all. So there's a prevailing thought here in terms of block just the guys up front. You could theoretically have a starting interior of, wait for it, <laughs> oh, God, Dieter Isolin at center from Yale, who's on the practice squad, <laughs> then Arlington Hambright, and Alex Barr is your guards. Mm. Oh my God. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I, I don't know why. <laughs> is that somebody speculating? Because I would expect Barr's to play yeah, it's, center. It, Barr's, I think, be, well, it's, be, it's based on the thought that you would probably kick him out to guard because at center, M- Mustafa's hurt and Efedi's uh, probably not playing. Right. I would just imagine they wouldn't want to practice squatter with, what, two weeks on the team to be making the line calls. But, hey, been wrong before. Guards uh, can make line calls, though, if came down I'll say to this. It. I'm excited to see how Arlington Hambright does. Because, I, I mean, why not? He, yeah, yeah, why not? He, exactly. I would have preferred, if you curious. were going to go the dalton Iceland route, I would have preferred just bringing up Lashavia Simmons and just seeing if your other seventh-round pick can play at all rather than the undrafted guy. But, mm-hmm. you know. I'll tell you – the, the bright side about this game, this is going to sound super silly, but I'm just going to say it anyways, is that there is a sentiment of like it can't get a lot worse than it was last week where a very, very, very good Saints front was pretty much running roughshod through the Bears and most of the protection came from scheme anyways, especially late in the game. I'm pretty sure that there at the end as the Bears drove down the field, the Saints ran a five-man blitz on literally every play as they just tried to overwhelm our guys and and at this point, you might as well have basketball players setting picks and Foles knows that he's only got about 2.2, maybe 2.8 seconds on non-play action throws because it just doesn't change when you put some of these guys that have, don't have much experience from last week where at any point Rashad Coward would blow a block. Jason Spriggs didn't play that well. Must have had a solid game. If Fady looked worse than just about ever, you guys get the idea. 
like at least we're not downgrading from great line to bad we're going from bad to mega bad but <laughs> you almost wonder what the applicable difference is between those two in the passing game specifically you know what i mean yeah until you start to watch it you and you start to realize the difference between a backup and a practice squatter hey who knows maybe maybe linemen will start beating each other or beating our guys so badly they'll bump into each other and fall down like maybe they'll just it'll I'm, it's obviously and, a joke and, and i know with how we've been talking on this show it sounds super negative and it has been a lot of pretty negative negative at the end of the day though, they're still five and three they're five and three. They put up 23 points against a good Saints defense with a crappy offense that might actually be finding its foundation. And Brandon, he, Brandon had it perfectly. He had it perfectly. They kept winning, so they kept doing what was winning. Now they finally lost. They sort of reset themselves, and they might just find some ground here on offense. Maybe, hopefully. And it, eventually, you got to think that they're at least going to get Massey and Whitehair back. And if they can return some starters, and obviously, like let's let's stop starting Rashad Coward as soon as possible. But uh, <laughs> as as soon as we get past that hurdle that I don't understand, uh, the Bears may be able. I'll never tell you guys that they're going to turn out an average offense because if you take a look at the average quote unquote offensive talent, its offense is like Arizona that I'd look at and I'd say, well, that should be way above average, right? Above average is average now. Like what we used to know is and above they're doing average, that with an MVP candidate playing quarterback. Justin Herbert's Chargers offense, which features Keenan Allen, as well as plenty of other really solid players and a decent offensive line, is below average. Like it, th- we live in a tough offensive world that to call it sink or swim isn't fair. Like these guys have studs at quarterback, studs at receiver all over the place, and we've got one stud on offense uh, I, with some – Yeah. Sorry. Finish what you were saying. No, that's basically it. Is that I don't know if the Bears are ever going to have a truly average offense, but if they could at least have a consistent scoring offense, none of these three point dumpsters like get 20 on the board and hand it over to the defense, then the Bears they could easily be where you're not constantly pining for the whole game for just give me a scoop and score or pick six, right? The basically get to the point where the defense doesn't have to score for you. And I think it's funny that you mentioned the Cardinals and Chargers just because they have two offensive lines that are terrible that have dealt with injuries. But we're, in a, we're at a point where you got to have a quarterback that can manage the pocket regard, regardless of who's blocking up front because sacks are a quarterback stat. They're not an offensive line stat. It's your job to get the ball out. It's your job to manage and the that pocket comes by down. moving – moving to help your D-line. Let's so also not pretend that. that. Which Bulls isn't, you're, you're naturally <sighs> going to struggle. Yeah, and it's not like Kyler Murray's an unbelievable athlete playing football. He's a better athlete. He might be arguably the best athlete on the field at any given time. He's got kind of that Mike Vick, Lamar Jackson thing going on where, oh, he's just there. Have fun. Justin Herbert isn't a good athlete for a quarterback. Justin Herbert is a good athlete playing football. Mm-hmm. He just happens to touch the ball every play. You, you know, need one of those. Yeah, you do. The, I would love one of those in Chicago. <laughs> like, and, it's and just. Oh, Zach Wilson is one of those guys. I will say that. Dak oh, Prescott yeah. is there one of go. those guys. I'll <laughs> say that. Uh, but that. E- either way, all the, all this to say that, like you guys are, see, or like we're kind of saying here, 
the Bears offense could, again, it's just a matter of whether they get a little more consistent. And I'll say this because we're, we're coming up on the end of time, but I hear a lot of people bemoaning, like, what is the Bears season if we lose this game? If we drop to five and four, that's obviously super bad, which I'll tell you what, three weeks ago, I would have agreed with you. So I will stand pat at the idea that I came into this Rams, Saints, and uh, Titans game set saying Bears got to go one for two. And it kind of looks like they won't, which is a bummer and it's a disappointment. But what I Never will say is the, the Packers games look a lot more winnable than I thought they were after the last, what, three weeks in which they lost the Buccaneers. They got whipped by the Minnesota Vikings. And then they had a, a decent win over a bad Texans team. So if the Bears can split that series with the Packers, they only need to go four for five against a bad Lions team that finds a way to choke, a not very good Vikings team, and then the, what is it, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the, the not, Houston Texans. The not very good Vikings team that beatable. just pantsed the Green Bay Packers. That I one. mean, sure, but and if they, they did it running 15 maybe total different plays, giving right. the ball to Dalvin Cook and shoving it down their throat. But I can't take away their nasty, nasty loss to the Falcons or no. their other issues against other teams. You got to think the Bears can take. I'm one largely of them. saying it just to say anyone right. can beat anybody. Exactly, Brandon. And, what you got? And that, and that's why, like, anybody can beat anybody. The dif- the difference between six and three and five and four is so huge with playoff mm-hmm. playoff oh, predictors. For- with just outlook, everything is so is better. And, and even the morale get, of the, the team, exactly. how they feel about it. And then you get the Vikings next week, and that's a totally winnable game. And totally. so if they, if they could end up 7-3 and three going into the bye, that would be so huge for this football, football mm-hmm. team. So it's just 1-0 and each week. That's all we need. We I'll need tell you. 1-0 each week. Game by game. I'll tell you guys, you're never going to get me on Team Tank. Uh, maybe I've just been staring too much at bad football teams, but I keep looking at no guys. Or, that's that's fine, Brandon. Again, <laughs> like you, I I'm making sure my opinion is clear, just so that everybody can have their own statement. But I look at teams like the Jets, the Browns, the Giants, and other organizations like that. The uh, the football team organization, <laughs> and I see a whole lot of guys that have had a whole lot of these really high picks. That ultimately they kind of have a loser's culture. And that sounds so stupid and derivative, right? And heaven's the Jaguars. Right. There's top 10 for like since every year since 08 or something like that. Like so long time. And, and it, and it just hasn't fixed anything. Like at some point you need to win football games for your organization to almost believe it can win football games, which is part of the reason that while I know it's going to tank our draft status and I know the bears don't have a quarterback and I know our cap situation is terrible. I think getting into the playoffs, especially winning a playoff game is the best case scenario and something that would probably help the bears the most long-term because at least they would have some answers. They can win football games amidst unusual conditions at least that's where i sit because sure it's going to make uh, grabbing trey lance or zach wilson a lot harder if we're down around 24 25 but at least we could start building towards the future knowing that we're winning games much like kansas city with alex smith i'm with you i'd rather just win football games and i really just don't like this notion that is just so consistent on twitter like i like zach wilson i don't I've got my own opinion on Trey Lance. It's not a great one, but it's what it, it is what it is. Um, this idea, this notion that if you get bad or you trade the farm to go up to number four or something, 
when you still don't have good offensive talent. A good quarterback doesn't magically fix every other problem. Unless they're Kyler Murray. (laughs) Yeah, unless they're Kyler Murray. But there is no Kyler Murray right now that you can – that's easily attainable. And this – like, Deshaun Watson's proof of it. He's watered down Kyler, and he's getting his ass kicked. Like, years of bad drafting are only fixed by years of good drafting. Over and over and over and over. They're not drafting well offensively, and they haven't for a while. Giving up more picks right now, for me, doesn't seem like the right way to go unless it's like to move up a couple of spots because a quarterback fell that you didn't expect. It's not going from 19 to 4 and gutting your next two picks in the first round when you just got your first round picks back. What do you think, Brandon? Do you think that, as silly as it sounds, a quarterback can fix these kinds of woes, even if it costs future money? Quarterbacks lead to sustainable success. Sustainable success leads to luck. Luck leads to potential Super Bowls. And so you're just trying to build that as much as humanly possible over the years. And that's why, I mean, quarterback is such a, an important position. It is. And you need to do whatever it takes to to get one of those quarterbacks. Right. And if you're, and all things being equal, which is where my issue is, you're saying, where my thought process is coming in, I'd sooner try to fix the line, ride it out one more year with Nick Foles because he's here. He's here. And if there's a guy you like, like like Ritter or something from Cincinnati in the third or fourth round, see if he's got something that, and he develops, it doesn't preclude you from taking one in 2022. Nothing like that. But, you can fix the line. I'd much rather not try to get a guy killed. For me, that's almost like going all in on 2021, which is just, it's shown to just not work. And, and quarterbacks fail at a rate of around 70 to 80%. So you want right. to throw, take that bust rate and throw them behind a shitty offensive line. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, there's no winning an argument on this side. I'm s- simply stating my piece of what I believe. All I know is that from what I've seen, it's, it's as silly as statement as it gets, but there's always another Kyler Murray. There's always another Joe Burrow. There's always another Josh Rosen. There's always another Josh Allen. And all I can see in this draft and what scares me the most, I think, like the number one reason that I'm as hesitant to draft a QB1 is that I see four bonafide QB1s, like four potential franchise guys, and seven teams that are tanking. Like there is a race to the bottom going on in the NFL right now. And that means to me anyways, that the trade-up cost is going to be uber magnified. That's what I'm saying. You're, because you're losing three ones. Exactly. You're lo- well, maybe, but either way, I see the franchise, the potential to grab Dak Prescott as almost more viable than trying to trade up purely because I can't imagine the cost of getting up there. And I can't imagine the cost of signing Prescott either, but at least it's just money. And at least, you know, the thing I like about that option is you're going to find out whether you get back or not before the draft. That's the best part. We can yeah. we can address the quarterback one cost later because you can make a play for Dak. And I mean, probably shouldn't, Probably shouldn't bring up Garoppolo, but uh, so, Jimmy G. The, but Let's go. Either way, like you guys are talking about, I mean the 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 Bears do need a quarterback. 
There's no doubt they don't. The The Bears probably could be used or like they could be well-serviced to build a nest for the quarterback to show up in case they don't get what they want. I'm with what Brandon says, where I think you take the best player available, you figure out a cost to come up to a certain number. And if it's if it sounds fine and Zach Wilson, Trey Lance fall to there, and I'm just assuming Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields won't, guys. But if, if you can, go for it. But if they're not there, don't strain yourself. Like there is something to be said for it might be the wrong year with tons of these teams all trying to reset simultaneously. And maybe you come back next year and just kind of, as silly as it sounds, wait for your Mahomes. It's funny to see like if the Jags like do what they've been struggling with because like they've had top 10 picks, but they keep passing on quarterbacks. Like for no one, no one wants to bring up the fact that they passed on Watson. They passed on Mahomes when they had Blake Bortles. So it'll and be they, interesting to well, see they, if those teams they just, do that. No, they hadn't paid him yet. No, that, that, that was a year later after the 17 year when they went to the AFC championship game. And yeah. And all those picks are gone. They're all gone. Mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey's gone. Bortles is gone. Uh, uh, but the Fournette's in Tampa. Like they spent all these picks and essentially they've all busted except for Ramsey, who's arguably the best corner in football and not even there. It's, it's how it goes in a lot of these settings. And I mean, sure, occasionally you're going to trade up, you're going to take Mitch Trubisky and it's not going to work. But there's something to be said for like the top flight quarterbacks the top flight quarterbacks. And you, what the Cardinals did, as silly as it sounds, where they drafted Josh Rosen, they took a year or to look at him and said, nah, we're number one. Let's take the best pick is exactly why I was so frustrated for the Lions taking Jeff Okuda because sure, they have Matthew Stafford. There's nothing wrong with that. But the fact, the idea that they couldn't take a Tua Tagovailoa type and just hold on to him and basically say, hey, man, you want him? You're going to have to trade for him because we're calling your bluff. Like, if you want a quarterback, what NFL have teams an extra one. I, I think it's going to start coming down to that because teams are going to have the quarterback and they're going to wait a year and they're going to be bad again and then they're going to have another one. Like, it's an interesting That's what case. what hope happens with the Giants. Well, you yeah, mean so the Daniel Jones gets out on the market? Well, no. So no. So they, Daniel. Stick, they stick with him and not draft a quarterback. I got you. Hoping that it works out. Oh, I thought he was hope. He was saying he hoped yeah, I they thought take you were saying the franchise reset. You know, I'm I'm ready I'll for take Daniel. Either one. Either one. Either I'll one. take Daniel Jones depositing the ball to the other team. Come on, <laughs> come on down. Hey, there's nothing. God, what, what was it I read in like so many starts? He's got four more turnovers total than starts. Like, oh my god. I'll tell Not you that may, maybe away. maybe I suck as an evaluator and maybe I'm just completely overcorrecting. But after years of watching Trubisky not turn the ball over but also not do anything, I might take the young kid that is – at least he scores a bunch of touchdowns to go with it and Give he me gives the ball away. He gives the ball away at an alarming rate. <laughs> to me, I think that – what is it, the term that people have used, white Jameis? It's pretty applicable. Uh, but just like how Jameis Winston is sitting uh, as a backup for uh, Drew Brees and might just be the heir apparent in New Orleans if they like him, Daniel Jones at the right price, I, c- I could get with it uh, as the Bears kind of sit around and wait. As much as I make fun of him and he blew a tire on a 90-something yard touchdown run and whatnot. <laughs> but it's, at least it's he's just... got the wheels to outrun, what was it, Tyreek Hill, according to the oh, – no, he, he oh, outran yeah, DK yeah, Metcalf. It was fun. It, it's it, it would uh, definitely be a trip because he's 
he's actually in theory he's a Duke grad. He scored thirty plus on his Wonderlick. He's like in theory the perfect Alex Smith reclamation project to go mm-hmm. with the Andy Reid disciple. Mm-hmm. But. Either way, though, that's all off-season talk. The wild thing about this season is that for as long as it's been going on, we are halfway through. We are well over time on our show, but I think we've got some great discussion here. Anybody got any final thoughts? X-Factor is Matt Nagy. See if he sticks with uh, what worked this week and see, see who's blocking for us. <laughs> Dan, what you got? I, I'm worried about Derrick Henry. <laughs> i think it's gonna be a i think it's good with the defense as good as it is overall i don't see a way they get blown out but i think they're gonna have a really rough time trying to get that offense off the field makes sense uh but i'll tell you what if it's a three-point game and we've got a field goal within 55 yards i feel more confident than ever boy was i ready for santos after he drilled that first one to miss the second one and just drilled both the Bears may actually have a kicking solution. I am here for it. Guys, I got a, I got a yeah. bold prediction. I think this is going to be the highest scoring game of the season. For the Bears? The so NFL. the Bears are going to get 40 burgered. Over, <laughs> over, overall, both teams, I think this is the most points scored in a game. This one could be – I'd love to see it. Hey, it'd be exciting. Even So if you're, what you're saying is when you open your FanDuel app today, Brandon, you're going to bet the over. Blind over. Blind over. You're out of your damn fool mind. <laughs> we, we will see. We will see. It's going to come in at like Money on 80. the wood makes it good. Any on the wood makes it good. Either way, right. guys. It's about time we close up. I've been Robert Schmitz. You can find me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz or on YouTube at Run Pass Opinion. Where can you find the rest of these guys? Let's let them know. At B-Rob NFL for me. <laughs> at da- Danny. At Dan. No, no knee. Dan, me and M-E-E-H-A-N as in Nicholas, the numerals 9-0. Great getting to talk to you guys. Awesome stuff. And we will see you next week for another episode of The Rule of Three. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.